Hey everyone, welcome in to another edition of Pro and Dialogue. My name is Danny Servick, and in this week's episode, we catch up with my good friend, Rod Strickland, one of the uh, influential point guards uh, of the past 30, 35 years in, um, out, of, out of the Bronx, and we have a great visit in which we just kind of weave through his just storied career um, from Truman High School to Oak Hill, to DePaul, to first-round pick, to his tremendous career that saw him become the 25th player in the, the history of the league to reach 10,000 points and 5,000 assists. Uh, some great stories along the way uh, and, and, and some just great, great nuggets from him on philosophy, on approach, on toughness. Um, he's just a basketball dude. Uh, someone that I had the, the privilege to, to, to get to know towards the end of his career and just just have basketball conversations uh, every so often and, and, and always come away with something new. So hope you enjoy. Uh, sit back and uh, listen to the great Rod Strickland. It brings me a lot of joy to have here on... Uh, the latest edition, the uh, the great Rod Strickland. Rod, how you doing, sir? Man, I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be on here. I uh, I was I was as we were talking um, a couple days ago, and kind of leading up to this, my one of my favorite takeaways from the uh, the initial episode, we had the VP of Basketball Ops from NBA China, Greg Stoldon, and he had the quote in the middle of the conversation. It was under the context of language barrier and the Chinese and coming to the U.S. and playing, but he said point guard is the most challenging position at any level in any country of the world. And of course, you know, I, when I created Pro One, part of it was I just love the point guard position. That's what I played. And, uh, and for the longest time in the agency world, that was what I kind of represented. But the minute he wrote that down, that's when I knew that I like I literally I still have on my notes here on my sheet like I gotta have Rod Strickland on because that was kind of like one of the baddest dudes of of kind of my generation of coming up and you know it's that was the thing I I, I you know I'm 48 now and I I joke all the time and talk with my kids about you know when I was young and I, I think back to when my dad would tell me that but you know back in the the early 80s you know you had the your basic uh, television, then you'd have TBS and you'd have WGN. And so WGN back in those days showed DePaul basketball. And so like, there's a lot of people now, I know the program's not kind of where it was obviously when you were there, but like I can vividly remember in 1980, 1981 and those playing Nerf hoops in my hallway, wanting to be Skip Dillard, you know, and throwing alley-oops to Aguirre and Cummings. And then I remember when you came on the scene in uh, 85 and obviously didn't know kind of at that time, all the background of kind of you are, but you were just kind of just, uh, you know, just so great with Kamajis and those teams. And so I've been a fan a long, long time. And uh, it's just, it, it's really cool to have you on and just to kind of talk basketball and kind of like your life journey through the sport. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Appreciate you having me, Danny. We got a little history. So it's yes. definitely, <laughs> That's right. definitely good to be on here with you. So, so here, 
this one of the challenges that I, I want to try to accomplish um, through the project with this podcast is to really speak to, you know, in, in kind of in each episode, speak to people of all, whether it's a player, whether it's a coach, whether it's a parent. Um, and I, the thing where, you know, when I, I've kind of been planning this project out for a while and, and very early on, I was like, I got to have Rod on uh, one of the first shows because you literally check every box on the player cycle of you were an AU stud with the New York Gauchos. You were, you know, a state champion with your high school team in, in your junior mm-hmm. year. Then you, then you go to Oak Hill. And well, I want to come back and kind of weave through all these in a second. But you go to Oak Hill. Okay. Then you're like a top 10 player in the country. You go to DePaul. You're a first-round draft pick. Uh, you're a 17-year stud. Like So it's like, you you know, it, it's not like a lot of guys are, you know, a couple of the boxes or they're this or they're late bloomers. You, you literally – every step of the way. Um, and I mean, the Gauchos, of course, now in, in, in I'm involved with uh, pro and basketball club and we play on the Under Armour circuit. And so we'll, you know, we will bump into the Gauchos and the younger levels. And there's, you know, every time we, we play them this past summer in Atlanta, I'm like, well, there's, there's Rod's team. <laughs> and it's like, and so, and you know, you're from the Bronx and to me, you kind of just embody everything that's New York city. And, um, you know, I was born, my dad's from New York City. My, you're, I was from upstate New York, so I take no claim to being a city guy. But um, have always just kind of, of liked it. Talk a little bit for a second about just, you know, your, in, in your prep times from when you were with the Gauchos in high school and then kind of the transition, because correct me if I'm wrong, like you were one of the first ones to kind of roll through that got Oak Hill really on the map, right? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. So... I don't know. I, I grew up in Mitchell uh, houses in the Bronx, and uh, I, I started out playing with a team called the Mitchell Bullets, uh, and I had an AU coach called Dave, uh, named Dave McCollins. And luckily, I had a great AU coach because he taught me how to play basketball from the early beginnings. Uh, they, he taught us right hand, left hand. You know, he taught us to be unselfish. He taught us to watch each other's back. Uh, he taught us that if a big guy grabbed a rebound and, and outletted, outletted to the guard and ran the court hard, we better reward him, right? So, yeah. so I was able to get those skills early, like just unselfish skills. And then I played with a group of, 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 of guys and with my AU coach that no one ever – felt like they were better than the other. I mean, I probably was the best player or second or third best player on, on, on most of the teams I played on, but I never felt that way. No one gave me that. So, you know, you always had anxiety to get better. You always had to be prepared and be ready or someone else was going to like outplay you or, you know, they would be the focal point. Uh, so I was lucky to have a, a really, really good AAU coach. And then he took us over to the Gauchos. Uh, and then we were like the first group of like 10 and unders that the Gauchos had. They had one team, uh, I think it was 17 and uh, 17 and over, or maybe two teams, 17 and 18, something like that. But we were the first young team to come over to the Gauchos. And, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a great experience. You know, we had opportunity to travel, uh, see different parts of, of the country and, you know, play against the best. And again, you know, we had a, uh, a coach who, you know, he developed us, he mentored us, 
but I mean, most importantly for me, he taught me how to play basketball the right way. And, and, you know, it's funny because I tell people we used to, when we were with the Mitchell bullets, we had practices, right? And if there was a dispute, <laughs> he would stop practice. He'd blow the whistle, stop practice. And he would take us in the back. He would lock the door and you would fight. <laughs> <laughs> and then you would come out and then you would practice. But it taught you a couple of things, right? It taught you who to mess with, who not to mess with. Yeah. And and then it also taught you that, you know, like you can have a, a issue and still come together and play, right? Because yeah. wherever we played at, we, we, we traveled around the, to Jersey and, you know, out of the state and everything. And it was one for all. We always had each other's back. So, you know, I, I had a lesson earlier about like, taking care of people on the court. Like I tell people, I, you know, I, it didn't matter to me whether I scored 15 points or 30 points or I had eight assists or 18 assists. I just wanted to impact the game. But I was taught that early, right? It wasn't about me. It was never about me. Yeah, no, that's... And to me, it's interesting now. Um, I think that's just missing you know, in a, in a lot mm-hmm. of areas, it still exists. Obviously, there there's great coaches, and I think it's probably some of the 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 older coaches, legendary coaches, and and, and ones that have been in the game um, to do that and and to impact and to teach kids that. You know, and that's one of the things right. that I think that kind of came across in in how you played and just mm-hmm. your whole your toughness and and. Um, so, because there's uh, there's some things I want to follow up on that. Let's I want to kind of get to that in a second. So, talk about how you ended up then when you when you got to Oak Hill because that part is really curious because right. obviously we met um, through our mutual really good friend Michael Curry and then William Avery who I worked with for so many years and he went after right. um, he left Augusta uh, he went to to Oak Hill before Duke and you guys kind of shared that bond. I remember when we were right. in the gym that one summer, you guys, re- it's just mm-hmm. like, and it was really cool. Cause here's Will that, you know, he was a lottery pick and do, but it looked like he was just like seeing like, the, like he was just in awe of you. And it was just right. like, and it was just so cool to kind of see that. But yeah. you know, when he kind of came through Oak Hill was already rolling. So like t- talk a little bit about your time kind of Oak Hill was Steve was Smith, the coach when you were there or, or did he come after no. you? No, he was there, but he was the assistant coach. Okay. So Larry Davis, uh, I think he was just at Cincinnati a little yes. while ago. Yes. Uh, so he was the head coach. Uh, but I actually, I went to Oak Hill. I was at Truman High School. We had just won the city and state championship. Steve Lapis, who was the head coach, got the job at the University of Villanova uh, as an assistant coach under Raleigh Massimino. And so it, this is the ironic part. So I was at, I attended Rice High School my freshman year. A lot of people don't know that, but I attended Rice High School, played freshman basketball. Though back in the days when you were, when you were in ninth grade, you had to play freshman, 10th grade, sophomore, and then you go to varsity. So my 10th grade year, I started out the season in preseason and I played really well. Like, I mean, it was easy. And so I just, I really wanted, a challenge. So I asked if they could move me up and if I could be, if I could play in a varsity. And, and basically it got to the point where I said, if I'm not moved up, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically what happened. And so they moved me up for a day. They let me practice. I played well and everything. And the next day they basically said, we can't 
move you up just because you're talking about leaving, you know, if you don't, you know, pride on both sides. So I left, you know, I had to convince my mother, but I finally left. Uh, and then, I, uh, uh, oh, so no, back to the story. So when, when Lap leaves, the high school coach who wouldn't let me move up became the head coach at Truman at Rice. <laughs> So, so he becomes the head coach at Truman, and and I hold a grudge. <laughs> like, I just, I mean, I I just hold a grudge. So, so when he was there, I basically told my mother I didn't want to play for him. But then she said, "No, think about it. Let's go meet him." You know. So we went to to uh, Truman. Me and my mother sat down, met with them, and he basically told us, you know, how it was going to be. You know, he was going to kind of take over the recruiting. And I, I want to say he asked me to, to like, inform him or, or bring in the letters and, like, just give him an update on the recruiting. But by the time uh, me and my mother left out of there, she said, basically, do what you got to do. <laughs> you know, so I don't think she felt the vibe yeah. as well as I did, right? I mean, as well as I didn't. So I wound up going to Oak Hill Academy. Okay. Steve Lapis. And Steve Lapis was 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 the one who reached out to Oak Hill, told them about me, and he put that together. So I went to Oak Hill, and it's funny because when I went there, they had a starting point guard, Chip Gibbons, who's a good friend of mine now. And so I went there knowing that they had a point guard. Uh, but, you know, Lap told me, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, I'm from New York, I'm used to competing, so I'm not really worried about that. And the first day I got there, Lloyd Daniels was there. I don't think people know that. Yeah, Lloyd Daniels wow. was there before I was there. And so the first day, the first practice, I walked in. I was late. And, you know, I basically dominated, <laughs> you know, the practice. And then, you know, from there, you know, I, I was at Oak Hill. Uh, uh, Lloyd Daniels didn't stay there. He, he wound up leaving before the season started. Uh, but we had a guy named Mike Jones who went to Auburn. Sure, yeah, definitely. Big, super big time score, uh, and so you know I had a great year at, at Oak Hill. It was it was it was it was a hell of a transition because I'm coming from the Bronx, New York, and I'm and I land in the mouth of well, actually you had to land in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and drive two hours to the mouth of Wilson, Virginia. <laughs> And cows and horses and, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing around. Uh, it was a big time adjustment and, and I had some trouble adjusting there. Uh, and, and really, honestly, I wanted to leave several times. Yeah. It's funny. I, along that line, I, I, I've had a bunch of conversations with, with Will and he, I think he very early on knew he was going to go to Duke, but he was like, I couldn't stay there any on the weekends. And so like he took every visit or if teammates were going on visits just to try to, leave, mm-hmm. <laughs> to try to leave. So along mm-hmm. those lines, but it, it's obviously a, um, a great vehicle for people to, to get there. And just from the exposure standpoint. And it's, but, but it's, let me, let me, let me just say this about the weekends. Right. So you, you're, you're a little younger than me, but I don't know. Do you remember people's airlines? Sure. Sure. Okay. So People's Airlines was out back then. And just so the people will know, you get on the plane, everybody sits down, the plane goes up in the air, and then someone comes around with a cart and they collect cash. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and I want to say the round trip was like $40. So I was getting, I was going back and forth uh, to New York almost every weekend. And that's how I survived. I got that you. Time. I got you. Yeah. Tell, b- back speaking of New York, I, I meant to ask you. So obviously, um, just kind of being a, a fan of the city and following stuff and, and, and I'm sure the, uh, the, the impact of outdoor courts, whether it was West Forth or where, like where was kind of your place that you played kind of growing up? Was there a certain park that you went to or did you kind of go around into Manhattan, into the areas to try to find places or? Well, it was, it was all over Manhattan and the Bronx. I mean, I'm from the Bronx. So most of the time I was in Mitchell gym, yeah. you know, because we, we had a tour, tiny Archibald had a tournament in Mitchell gym. Wow. And, Everybody came through. Chris Mullins, Kenny Smith, Mark Jackson, Pearl Washington, Vern Fleming. Like, it was one of the biggest tournaments uh, in the city. So right there in Mitchell Projects, I spent a lot of time. We also had Patterson Projects where Tiny Archibald grew up down the street. Uh, the Gauchos started practicing at IS-8, I want to say okay. IS-183 or something across the bridge in Manhattan. But we traveled all over, basically Manhattan and the Bronx, yeah. uh, to play ba- to play basketball. We we went to Brooklyn and Queens very little. Most of the time it was Manhattan and the Bronx. That's awesome. So, you know, kind of back to what we talked about at the very beginning with with in that, you know, late seventies into early eighties, <clears throat> DePaul was a monster. Like people nowadays, yes. I know I know the program has not been, a, but like you guys. Um, so coming out of Oak Hill. Um, you know, where did it kind of come down to? I know you end up at DePaul. Like, who came in second right. for the running for for Mr. Strickland? The University of Pittsburgh. How about that? The University of Pitt. Yeah, me, me and Charles Smith and I got real close uh, during high school, the, the All Star camps and all that. And he used to come to Mitchell because he's from Connecticut. He would come drive or where, however he got, yeah, I think he drove, he had that big money from Pittsburgh, so he drove, <laughs> <laughs> he drove, he drove down to New York City, and he would come play with us, and so we became real close, and uh, I, I really thought about Pitt, they had Curtis Aiken, Demetrius Gore, Charles Smith, I think Jerome Lane was coming in, Yeah, like, we would have had a really good team, Yeah, no like, doubt. I mean, a really good team, uh, and then there was Villanova uh, because Lat was there. And, uh, and the only reason why I, I, it was hard for me to consider Villanova, like like really, was because of the way they played. You know, they had a slow down offense back then. Yeah. And I knew that I needed to be in the open court. Like I knew my strengths and weaknesses. So, and then there was like Syracuse was was involved. Yeah, I was going to say, what about the Cuse and St. John's? What about the Syracuse was involved, but they had Pearl Washington. Then you know St. John's had Mark Jackson, but I had some weird ones on my list. Like I had uh, Georgia, which I, I really didn't know anything about, but I had someone in my ear, kind of trying to pull me that way. And then there was UNLV. You know, obviously sure. the, the great Tarkanian. But I wasn't too familiar. That was way out west. Uh, but I canceled all my visits. I don't think I took a visit. I took an unofficial to Syracuse and to the University of Pittsburgh. Every other visit, I I, I only took one official, and that was to to, to DePaul. And once I went to DePaul, 
they knew I wanted, they knew they had me, right? Because mm-hmm. they really didn't have to recruit me. I was so, I was the biggest Kenny Patterson fan and yeah. Mark Aguirre and Terry Cummings. Yeah, so, I, I left Patterson off my name. Skip Dillard and Kenny Patterson, those, the, like just, there were yeah. so many dudes. And like Tyrone Corbin yeah. was, I mean, like it was yeah. just guys galore on that te- those teams. Yeah, those, yeah, those were my guys. And, and I watched them all the time. And like you said, WGN. Uh, but they got up and down, yeah. right? They they were up and down the court, and then they were on TV. Just what you said about WGN, uh, you know, they they're on national TV every night because they were, either they were like Duke either, before Duke, you know, like every right. jokes about Duke. I mean, DePaul was on TV every game. It seemed like right, yeah. So it's either I was on WGN or I was on NBC or CBS. So and and I think one of my articles. I think it was in the Daily News. They asked me why would why did I go to DePaul, and I think I said I wanted to be on TV. <laughs> I wanted to be seen, and that was one of the big reasons. Two things: they they got up and down the court, they they played open, and they were on national TV all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, then you obviously the um, you guys went to the tournament every every year, and. I'm almost sure all four years you went. I know you were a two-time All-American there, and were just you know mm-hmm. a, a stud and kept that role in Sweet 16. And then the um, I mean, so everything DePaul wise, you, you really enjoyed your time there, didn't you? Yes, definitely. I mean, they gave me the opportunity. They they put me on a stage. You know, I was on the biggest stage. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, they let me play. You know, I had the opportunity to run the team. When I came there as a, as a freshman, I mean, basically they handed the ball over to me, and we had Dallas Comedies. We had a bunch of seniors my first year, and they handed the ball over to me. So I had an opportunity to grow from the beginning. You know, I didn't have to worry about making mistakes because you know I was an integral part of the team, and you know how that goes. Confidence builds and builds, uh, and it's so funny because I talk to people now and I. You know, I, I watched the generation and, you know, the, the difference is when I was in seventh grade, I wasn't sure how good I was going to be in high school. When I was in high school, I wasn't sure how good I would be in college. And when I was in college, I wasn't sure if I was going to be a pro. You know, nowadays, you know, you're sixth grade, you're prepping to be a pro. Right. Yeah. So so I always had anxiety and I always was trying to get better. And I always was worrying about if I was good enough. And i never forget my freshman year. We played Georgetown, and I have a really good game. And Al McGuire's, he's announcing the game, and he goes, a star is born. And that was, you know, you know how you go run back home to see the game. <laughs> and, and I heard that, and that, that, that was my connect to, like, wow, you know, I, I might have a shot. But I never really, you know, I, I, I never had that comfort zone where even when I went to the pros, you know, I was the 19th pick in the draft and I went to the Knicks and there's Mark Jackson. I Mm -hmm. was confident in myself, but there still was anxiety. Like, you know, how good you going to be? Like, I I just didn't know. Yeah. Well, and two things on that one, I I think that is such to hear you kind of say that um, Mm -hmm. in that kind of that humility and kind of what kind of like the goals were, um, I think is is another thing that's lost now. You get around with everybody wants to be. They think they got to be the best thirteen year old, fourteen year old, fifteen year old, and then if they're not yeah. playing up, and they got to pick which number they're going to be. And it's like, I mean, I remember 
even kind of like scaling back to me, I, I, I remember my freshman year in high school, all I wanted to do was just like, man, I really want to make the high school varsity team. I just want to be a, like, that was the goal, you know? And then all of a sudden, um, our junior year, we win state. And then we're standing on the floor. Back when we played our state championship game, we're playing at the university of Alabama and we're on the floor and a coach kind of comes up to us after the game. He's like, Hey, I'm going to recruit you next year. And I literally kind of had about a 10 second pause. I'm like, for what? You know, like (laughs) here I am at 17 years old and we had just won the biggest class and it still hadn't dawned on me. And so that's kind of the thing now being around some of the travel teams is just that, just chill out. Like if you're not like at 14, like it's okay. Don't like, you know, let's just develop and grow and do it. Um, and I just don't think that exists today as much and that needs to get back in there, you know, and, 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 uh, I think the social media impact influences it so much because everybody sees everything. And of course everything, you know, people post stuff that whether it's true or not and throw stuff out and then it affects kids mentalities and it affects parents mentalities and coaches. It it affects their humility. Like that, I I talk about that all the time because it's so important. Like, I think we all, you know, everyone wants to be the cocky bravado and that's cool. Like that's a part of being an athlete and being a competitor, but you still have to have that humility because that's how you intake things. Right. That's how you realize you're not as good as you think you are. Right. That's how you, that's how you, that's how you get better and better. And if you don't have that, a lot of times, you know, you give, you give the young players so much, you give them all this attention and it's a false sense of who they really are. So false sense of reality. Now they walk into a, a university with a coach that's going to uh, uh, like restrict them or, or make them play a certain way. And then they can't do it. And then instead of understanding that, okay, you know, I'll get better. You know, I got to work on this. It becomes the coach's fault or the environment's fault. And, and I'm not saying that happens all the time because sometimes it could be like you're with the wrong coach in the wrong place. But, you know, a lot of times, if, if you don't have that humility to understand that you have some work to do, yeah. you can get caught up and you can lose. And that's why there's a lot of players in the NBA that people didn't know about. And then all of a sudden they become, you know, these perennial all-stars or these pros for 15, 17 years. And then the, the guys who you thought were, were everything, you know, they struggle. No, it happens a, a lot. That's a great point. I want, let's go back to because um, this is one thing in, in um, that I never asked you about just in talking the times we've talked basketball and stuff. So here you come out of DePaul and you know again we'll roll it back. You're top ten player in the country. You go to DePaul, have an incredible career, two time All American, and you get drafted by the Knicks. So it's your hometown team. Mm-hmm. You come back home, mm-hmm. but there's Mark Jackson that was Rookie of the Year the year <laughs> before. So it's kind of like. You got to be like mixed a little bit, like, hey, I'm back home. It's cool. And, but there you come in as a first round pick and you're backing up the same position. Mm -hmm. This, you know, so like, what was that like to kind of to, to jump into that scene um, Mm -hmm. and and exist those two years before you got traded to the Spurs? Well, 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 now you're going to have me contradict myself because at that time, the humility is gone. (laughs) That's right. Right. I mean, it's just, that's just what it is. Yeah. Because, now I'm fighting for a job. I'm fighting for my career, and I've, 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 you know, I feel like I've done my work. And now I want, I, I wanted my own team. To be honest with you, yeah. 
And it was tough because I thought I was going to go between seven and 15. And in those spots, you know, I would have been positioned to kind of be the young guy, you know what I mean, coming in. So I, I fall to 19. And it's so funny because I was sitting there at the draft and and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, uh, Jordy Meyer had called me earlier in the day and told me that he got he had some phone calls and that I was dropping, that I may drop to 24, 25. That was like the Lakers in Boston. So, so you know, I was nervous. So when 19 came, I'm, the Knicks had Mark Jackson, so I'm not thinking they're going to pick me. Right. And so, you know, when they picked me, it was like, okay, I'm drafted in the NBA. I'm happy, but now I'm with Mark Jackson. He just was rookie of the year. Uh, so I was a little disappointed with that. But, you know, my mentality once the draft was over, it was, you know, now it's time to compete. And I'll never forget after we got drafted, me and Mark had to play against each other like the, the next day. So <laughs> this, we, we're playing in City College and it's packed and everybody's outside. And it's, it's nuts. That's awesome. And we had to play against each other. And, you know, we obviously have respect for each other, but we're two New Yorkers. You know, Mark is cocky too. I'm cocky. I mean, you know, we both have that element. So it, it, it was a, it was an awkward time. But it also was a good time because me and Mark were like, we, we got along well, but you still had that competitive factor. You know, I had my family, he had his family, you know, he's playing. So they obviously think he should be playing. My family think I should be playing. Uh, you know, we're going at it in practice. Mark, I tell you to this day, he messes with me all the time. I tried to start a fight with him in practice. Like I try my best to fight Mark. <laughs> like I just came in with an attitude because of the situation yeah. and I'll never forget that and we laugh about that now wow. but Mark 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 we, we 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 were good but like we at this day and time you could have played us together back then you know your point guard your point guard your two guard your two guard your small forward your small forward so yeah no that's and, and so that that's always the thing that's interesting to me with you because, you know, I, I just don't think a lot of people, and that's one of the, my hopes from this with just, um, you know, people that kind of listen to this and, and kind of do another deep dive into you and your kind of career. Because, you know, you're only the 25, 25th person in the history of the NBA that reached that 10,000 point, 5,000 assist mm-hmm. mark. And then you, you end up with over, I think it was 14,000 points, 8,000 assists in and the thing to me that is so interesting with that is like you literally have your first two years that are kind of, you know, and, and it wasn't like you were some one and done kid, you know, you play four years right. in school. And so you're, you're a mature guy coming in. And right. so if you kind of missed a couple of years to even, even have, you know, more numbers and bigger numbers and go, right. um, but obviously you go to the Spurs and then you just kind of, you start a great stretch with that, then Portland, yeah. then Washington. And then you really, um, you really get rolling when you end up in Washington after the Rashid trade. Um, mm-hmm. But so kind of rolling back. So when you go to San Antonio, that had to just kind of feel like a breath of fresh air. Like, here you go. Now I got it. And so that had to help kind of kickstart you to get rolling. Yeah, no, San Antonio. Well, first I played three years in college. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. My bad. Didn't That's right. I knew that. But for some reason, when I look at things, they had me there for four yeah, years. Yeah. Cause you left after your junior three. year, the year, yeah. the year you had the, yeah. Yeah, but San Antonio was great uh, for a moment. Like, 
when 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 they told me I was traded to San Antonio, I was excited because I had played for Larry Brown in the sports festival. Uh uh when I was coming out of high school, I was gonna be a freshman and I played with him and Dan and Danny Manning was on the team and we won the whole sports festival. Uh, I think that was like USA basketball at the time. Okay. So I was so I had I, I was familiar with Larry Brown. So I was I was happy. And then you had David Robinson, Sean Elliott, Willie Anderson all these young guys, so it was a young team. And it started off great, I played well. Uh, but, you know, throughout my career, and, and that probably, well, the Knicks probably was, a big, was the beginning of it. But like professionally, and, and this was probably one of the regrets I have, like from playing professional basketball, if I could do it over again, I would have been more of a professional. I think I shot myself in the foot a lot of times because of that. Because Portland was a great situation. We had a great young team. Uh, but, you know, I, there were some things that happened. I know I got into a fight. I broke my hand. And that was kind of started the down slope of, of, of San Antonio. Uh, but it was a great, I mean, I mean, I was playing with the Admiral. I mean, I was playing with a guy who would run point guards down and block their shot. <laughs> like, I was playing with a guy who defensively would just control the game. You know, like, I mean, he just controlled everything. Uh, so then you had Sean Elliott and Willie Anderson. Then you had vets like Terry Cummins. I want to say oh, Paul Pressey was there. Uh, Mike Mitchell was there at the time. Uh, you know, so, it, I mean, it yeah, was a great experience. It's a great team. Yep. The, um, yeah, you know, your your best season um, – I think was the, the was ninety seven ninety eight. I remember I was doing a little some reading. That was your your second team All NBA and um, yeah. like your Wizards run. Um, that was just you guys. Who who was with you on that on that squad? I'm trying to think back. Um, uh, it was Chris Webber, Jawan Howard, right. Calvin Cheney, George Marison, uh Tracy Murray, uh, Ben Wallace. Uh, he was a young fellow, but Ben Wallace. We had a uh, Chris Whitney. Wow. We 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 had a really young, exciting team. Uh, I enjoyed playing with those guys. It was it was just interesting because, you know, you know the Fab Five. I had two of the Fab Five. That's right. And you know we watched them. You know me as a pro, I watched these young guys in college, and I was a fan. I loved their energy and their spirit and their, and their tenacity. And then I get the chance to play with them, and I see their love, their spirit, their tenacity. You know, we played the Bulls in the playoffs, and we lost 3-0, but everybody raved about the about the Bullets, and, you know, they better watch out for them in the future. And a lot of that was those two guys, right? Mm -hmm. Because, we, you know, we were coming, you know, the playoff series, there was no fear. You know what I mean? They were young players, but they had no fear. Like, they grew up like that from Michigan. And their spirit was was big time. Like I enjoyed playing with them and competing with them. Wow, that's awesome. The um, hey, I'm gonna take kind of a, like a left turn here, mm -hmm. and um, I want to dive into a little bit of. So, when I met you right at the tail end of your career, um, mm -hmm. and then got got to spend some time, and and I I think back, um, to the there was a week we we were in Augusta. Uh, and we had, I mean, think, I, was, I was thinking about this earlier today. 
he had Gerald Fitch. He had just come off the season where the year the Heat won the championship, and he had started games with them. We had William Aver. We had Mateen Cleese. You had Derek Zimmer. Mm-hmm. We had some high-level young guards, guys that were in the yeah. league, high-end guys in Europe, and yeah. kind of got on the court and, and, and did some work. And you said something. So this would have been like 2005, maybe, around that time. That stuck with me. And, I mean, I use this, and I'm not – making this up i mean i use this on mm-hmm. a, it's not a daily basis but when i'm on the court with young guards or i'm talking to my son or other, i use this line all the time and always credit mm-hmm. you to that is we're out there working on a drill and I, I can't remember exactly what it was but you know you kind of get into the half court and these guys are turning sideways and kind of backing them down and you just kind of about mm-hmm. lost your stuff and you're like um you don't ever turn sideways. Like, you know, where you were raised, I'm, I'll, I'll kind of shut up, let you talk about it. But your whole deal mm-hmm. was like, you always keep your chest to the defender because it was a sign of weakness. And it was this whole yeah. bravado of confidence. And like, talk a little bit about that and just kind of, just that whole well, moment. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I was raised that way. Uh, I, I mean, I, like I told you, I played for Dave McCollins, uh, was my AU coach, but I also played for, a man named Mr. Page. And I got a lot of my ball handling from him. And that was one of his things. You don't turn your back. Like you face the defender and you see the whole court. And he always said, you turning your back was a sign of weakness. Now, if I look back at my career, I'm sure there's times where I turn my back. But if you catch me in my younger days, I'm, I, I doubt you'll see that <laughs> right, right. much. You know what I mean? Unless, you know, sometimes you're backing guys down to get into the ball screen, you know, because you've kind of been taught that, especially as you go up in levels, they, you know, they kind of teach you what to do. Sure. But but the whole philosophy is to never turn your back. Steve Smith, uh, who played with the Hawks, and he's an analyst now, so my guy, he always talks about that. He said Mookie Blaylock was like one of the toughest, and we know one of the toughest yeah. defenders of all time. And he said, I, Mookie could never get me to turn my back. And I guess they had conversations about that. But to me, and, and so when I hear that, that's what I was trying to get. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I was looking for, right? Because I want someone to know that you're not taking the ball from me. We grew up, you, you, you're not supposed to touch my basketball. Yeah, Like I'm, I'm in front of you, you can't touch my basketball. I, I remember later on in my career, there were two times where I got ripped. And I was so mad, and I still think about it to this day. <laughs> Jacques Vaughn ripped me at half court one time. I mean, and and it was bad. Like it was bad. Like you know, one of like you right, you get right over half court, you know, hand across me, and there's nobody behind, and he's just getting a layup. And then later on in my career, it was Derek Fisher, and, and this was a crucial. I mean, I lost the game. But there was some miscommunication with the coach and all that. And I'm busy looking around and he ripped me. And like, I remember those two, you can hear like vividly. Yeah, I, because, I love it. I love that it's just two times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, I mean, that I can recall. Right. I may have gotten before, but I, I remember those two times. And, you know, I prided myself on that. Like, you're not taking the ball from me. I mean, I remember one of the young fellas, I'm not going to say the name, but he was guarding me and he was all up on me and he's, you know, all the antics and defensive antics. And I'm like, you're not getting that. (laughs) (laughs) You're not getting that. You're not. And so that, that, you know, that was part, like you said, it was part of the bravado, but that was part of the New York way too. You know, I learned that from New York. No, I it, like I said, it made you know I was obviously uh, 
done playing, but I think you kind of always think hear things that resonate with you. But the, for just it's interesting uh, of all the different kind of conversations and people have been around and seen. But like there, there was just something with that day when you said that that just kind of really stuck and stood out yeah. amongst other things and and. You know, my, my son has probably heard that, you know, I don't know how many times. And, <laughs> yeah. talk, and, it, and it's an interesting thing because, like you said, there's going to be times that you do, you know, if you're backing someone down to pick a roll. But I, I think it's right. like you say, it's the mindset, it's the philosophy. It's the and it yeah. is. Um, and that's one of the things of kind of of hoping to do and kind of shed light. Because, you know, there's a lot of high school coaches um, and probably for that matter, college, but especially youth and high school coaches that are so into just we're going to run systems and certain things and and those mm-hmm. are all important or very good but i i think the individual development of skill in the individual development of just having you know confident ball skills and then from mm-hmm. that just the con- is just such an important piece that has to get taught yeah, um, well we we've taken a little bit we've taken the creativity away a little bit yeah right because it's almost like we're teaching certain moves and this is what you do so I was taught by a coach how to handle the ball. So I was taught how to handle the ball in any kind of way, in and out crossover. I mean, in and out crossover, in and out between the legs, in and out behind the back. You know, the, the, the ball between my legs from the front, between my legs from – like I learned every dribble there was. And then I went out and played basketball. And then I became creative because I just experimented. So now when I'm running at you full speed, you don't know what I'm going to do. Right. And I'm going to, mm-hmm. and, and I'm good enough with the ball because I didn't handle it. I've, it's like guys go out and they shoot jumpers and they go shoot a thousand jumpers the same way all the time. Well, we sat, we sat out in the street at the height of my career. I was in the street with little kids with Mr. Page and we're doing this ball handling drill and you had to do it 500 times. And if you messed up, you had to start all over and you did the same behind the back drill 500 times. And so now when I'm on the court and I'm running at you hard, I mean, I can, I can react, right? I don't have yeah. to look at the ball. I never have to look at the ball. I always know where the ball is at because I practice it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. No, it's, I, I think that, uh, it's, it's obviously one of the things where I was just such a, 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 a kind of a fan beforehand. And then of your game, it's just that whole, that whole piece. And I think that's, um, you know, I, I, I hope that people kind of hear that. And if it's a high school coach and they, they take that into, uh, you know, to developing, because whatever system you want to run, if if the pieces are confident with the basket, you can still go run whatever kind of philosophy you want right. to have and however you want to play. But yeah. I still think at the end of the day, it's still a kind of man-on-man game of yes. – you know, can can you stop me and can I stop you and win your battles? Those are the great ones. Yeah, and 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 no, I I, I love um, I, it, it. It makes me happy to have uh, you 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 give the story of the keep your chest, don't turn your back because uh, uh, that what's that now been thirteen years, fourteen years? I, I I can't. You should get royalties off of how many times I've said that, Rod. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hey, talk, uh, talk for you owe me some money. Huh? Yeah, I know. Uh, t- talk for a minute on just kind of overall philosophy. We kind of talked a little bit when you're talking about nowadays where you and you and Mark could have kind of played together and, and how mm-hmm. the games kind of evolved. Speak 
in, in, in this is a little bit more almost to the to the college level because we've had this in the in the pros have gotten to it obviously Golden State and then with Houston of the so many people are trying to kill the mid range right it's it's threes mm-hmm. it's layups it's threes it's layups but I I really think in one of one of my uh, big curiosities for the upcoming college season is you know they moved the line back another foot in a few inches. And mm-hmm. and you know this obviously is is the the drastic change from when a college kid comes to the NBA that their percentages drop you know just the you know the great shooters, I think it's going to impact the game this year to where it's going to open up space to bring back a great guard like yourself you know in the, in the college game now that can play with it who can play in that mid range like do, do you think that you know everyone's so kind of dug in that we're just going to shoot threes or we're going to get all the way to the rack? Or do you, do you, do you see where a change can kind of come back to, you know, people that can play with a basketball who can obviously still shoot it where they're going to try to run them off the line, but now there's going to be more space for them to play. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like it should be natural, right? Because now you're shooting so many threes. If you look at three point shots now, and I'm not, I don't get into the numbers and all that. Just if you watch with your naked eye, they're forced three-point shots. Like, guys are forcing three-point shots. And then you have guys who, you know, who are not three-point shooters, but you're teaching them to become three-point shooters. So, like, the great ones have different, like, the great ones have a counter move, another move, and another move. So your counter from a three-point shot, the guys come to defend you is to pull up, you know, pump fake, get yeah. to the middle, pull up, jump up. Right. Also, getting getting into the middle of the lane, I mean, it just opens the three ball back up for someone else. Because if you just study defenses, once you get in the middle, you know they collapsing, so you almost can get a better three. Right. Yeah. yeah. But also, there's plenty of times when you're driving in the middle, it, 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 and and you stop in the middle of the paint, it almost calms you down and it makes you see the court more. You know, now you can see the alley oop. I watch so many players that just run to the basket and just run into everybody. <laughs> like they just run into the defense and then they're looking for fouls. And sometimes they get rewarded. But the best players, like you you almost take away the skill. Well, not you almost, you're taking away like IQ and skill, right? Because you have to figure out when you should go all the way, when you should stop short, when you should make the pass. Now you become robotic. It's like just take the three and just drive. So you not like even if you watch workouts sometimes, I watch people work out and they all work on the baseline drift, right? So you drive baseline and, and the opposite drifts baseline, right? And they automatically throw that pass, right? But there's other guys open too, right? There's the guy that, that should circle to the front of the basket, but it's almost like you're already like programmed to what you want to do. And then on the, even the funnier thing to me to watch is the defenses are programmed. So, you know, they drive in baseline and throwing this, the, the baseline drift pass and they still rotate off it. <laughs> you know? So it's, I mean, I, I just think it takes away the IQ and I think the best players have a lot in their arsenal. The best players have, you know, you got Kevin Durant, the Kyrie's, the James, even James Harden, you know, those guys, Steph Curry was a little push shot, but you have different options, right? That makes you harder to guard, you know, but the game and the coaches at times, it, it's hard to take those mid-range shots if the coaches don't want you to take them. 
No doubt. Right. And so, and then just think about it. They say that's the toughest shot because it's low percentage. Well, I practiced that shot. Yeah. Like I went in the gym and I would shoot the ball up as high as it can so it can drop down and through the net without touching the rim. And I practiced that over and over and over again. So my percentage of those mid-range shots, those little touch shots around the basket, I'm going to make them. So they're going to be good shots for me. But if you don't practice it, it's tough, you know. And if you watch a lot of times, if you watch workouts, have you ever seen many workouts where they're shooting layups or like working on layups or working on like little floaters? And yeah. most of the time they're trying to separate to get a three. And so it just becomes philosophy. Yeah. I think the mid range is an important part of the game. And I think it's going to have to, you know, it, it, it will make teams. Okay. Houston lost to Golden State. They, they missed 27 three point shots, right? When do you just say, listen, we're off right now. Right. When we're up, we just need good shots. Let's go in there and take a couple. If they make a couple pull-ups, they win that series, yeah. right? But they went by the – they played the numbers game, you know, keep shooting the threes. I, I love um, our good friend Michael Curry used the line. Um, I don't know if this was a Doug Collins line or any – that uh, and he he used this uh, when he coached with the Pistons and and, and the, that he'd rather have a uh, a good player take a bad shot than a bad player take a good shot and I always I I love that just from the standpoint of 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 using that in terms of analytic type things is that like mm-hmm. anybody just shooting a three is not a good shot just because it's a three and right. so that if if there's somebody shooting a you know by definition of the analytics, a bad shot, a 70 foot jump shot. If it's a good shooter, I want him to shoot it, you know, and, and, you know, your, your, your point guard in, in San Antonio, a few years after you were there, Tony Parker was the king of the mid range pull up jumper too. And, and, right. and, you know, last time I checked, they had some success when he played there too. Yeah. But, 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 but the, it's, okay. So to your point, cause it was interesting. I was at, uh, uh, at a camp and someone was in the stands and they were talking about, mid-range and they told me that Kevin Durant what they say they say Kevin Durant is the he makes bad shots right he's the best at making bad shots right so I'm like why is it a bad shot right so he's saying because of the mid-range and you know if somebody was on him but I'm like Kevin Durant is seven feet tall and skilled so there's no bad shot Right. Correct. All you have to do is get to a spot and whoever's on you, if you can elevate over them, then that's a good shot. You know, but people go, you know, we follow the leads all the time. Sometimes we don't think for ourselves. But I mean, like like what you just said that uh, uh, Michael Curry said is perfect. Like Kevin Durant, who you think is a bad shot because he has somebody on him that's six, seven. No, it's a great shot and he can make it. Yeah, that's the good offensive scoring. Like that's the simplest of the, you know, it's just like if if you know, let shooters shoot, you know, if they if, if they yes. have the ball and they they've worked it to do it. Um so 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 I I know we got a few more minutes left and want want to finish up. So give me just kind of um a couple minutes just kind of thoughts on if this is like a uh whether this is a coach listening to the podcast or 
a parent, or maybe it's a, you know, a little bit of an older player, just in terms of kind of like a couple keys. Cause I know obviously after you finished up playing, you worked with coach Cal at Memphis and, and at Kentucky and mm-hmm. obviously you've been around, whether it's Tyreek or Rose or wall, and you've been around some, some great. So you're obviously, you stay connected and, and, and see that. What are just some things, you know, people can kind of focus on that are important to you. And obviously it's through your prism of, of, and we've touched a lot of what made you so great. Uh, mm-hmm. and see, but what are, what are some things that you would say just as some advice, um, that would be good in, in developing either your players as a coach or if you're your own player, uh, to work on? I'll be open-minded, right? There's, there's so many ways to be effective and there's so many different styles of players. Uh, like I've I watched Cal, like one thing, Cal is so open-minded. He listened. I mean, Cal put in a high school coaches system into a high level basketball you know the dribble drive was a high school coach right Mm -hmm. told him about that so i mean i i I would just say that there's so many different ways to develop i think you push kids hard i think you listen this is one thing i always wanted to i said man i want to be a head coach one day because i wanted to show that things could be done differently I just remember as a basketball player, I remember coaches saying, what do you see, right? What do you see out there? They would come to the bench. And I I think sometimes coaches are so into trying to prove that they can coach instead of just letting kids play, right? Putting those kids in the city. That's what Cal did really well. You know, he would change our fences from year to year if, if, if need be because it wasn't about him. It was about trying to find the best situation and, and, and trying to make these kids uh, uh, be the best they can be and, and with their skill set. And sometimes I think coaches overcoach, right? It's like, I got to show that I can coach. And sometimes it's just let them play, put them out there and then teach them how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we, we go through the sets and we tell them, you know, this is where you go. I, I remember being at the Paul one time and I remember, uh, coach just we were going up against a zone and it was kind of just he just let us play right let us learn how to play basketball let us learn how to move without the ball read defenses because a lot of kids can't do that you know especially young kids yeah uh so it's it's just teaching basketball teaching all aspects of basketball pushing kids uh you know pushing kids to the limit but but also just listening and and, and just giving them the freedom to, to to like be the best player they can be. Sometimes coaches so uptight, you make the players uptight. Right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah. No. Yeah, that, that those are points well taken. I I agree with uh, everything you just said. Those are all things that have uh, in in some form or fashion uh, thought of or, or come out. So to to kind of hear you say that, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, and obviously that's kind of how you know you played. And, 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 and just and brought that whole energy and um, it was good. Man, listen, I, uh, I really appreciate the time. Uh, this, has been, this has been great to talk, just to, to, to dive into some hoop stuff. And uh, like I said, it means a lot to me is starting off this project, having you on uh, early because, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough that in the, in the years we've known each other in, in friendship to kind of hear some of this stuff and hear you talk and just yeah. kind of be around you, just kind of ooze basketball out your body uh, and just kind of are just real 
all the time. I and uh, it was it's really really cool to me uh, here on the as the, as we're about to dive into another season of youth basketball, high school, college, yeah. pro, and uh, wanted to kind of kick it off. So, um, yeah. man, I appreciate no, the time. Appreciate no, I appreciate you having me. I've, basketball, like you said, I've I've been in basketball all my life since ten years old, and I've I've experienced so many different levels as a player, as a coach now in management and trying to figure things out and create uh create things that that will improve basketball so you know anytime it's basketball i'm involved i'm still a guy that'll walk out uh to the park or in gaucho gym and watch 10 12 14 year olds play so you just yeah. don't need to have the gauchos beat my teams again in, in, in the summer so <laughs> yes i'm gonna have to come check you guys we'll out. do that <laughs> all right rod man listen i really okay. really appreciate it and uh we'll hope your blue demons have a good season this upcoming year and um yeah. let's uh let's catch up soon okay thanks for having me thanks rod.